As luck would have it, ASU's fall camp will begin with fall-like temperatures in the mid-90s, but otherwise, several dozen sweltering sessions are awaiting ASU in the month of August as it prepares for the 2019 season. And just as toward will be some of the position battles that will define Sun Devils' preseason preparations. In this episode of the Devils Junkies podcast, we will begin talking about the Pac-12 media poll, how it views ASU, and delve deep into all the positions on the team and the battles that will take place over there between veterans and newcomers. The offseason is just about over, Sun Devil fans, as we embark on the preseason just over a month away from ASU football. This is the Devil Junkies podcast and a preview of the 2019 fall camp. Living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino. And as mentioned, wanted to start this podcast with Pac-12 Media Day, the annual event that more or less signifies the end of the offseason, the beginning of the preseason. All 12 head coaches plus two player representatives from each team in the league come to this event, each obviously talking about how they view their prospects for the upcoming season. And the vibe concerning Arizona State was a whole lot different than it was last year. Uh, first and foremost, I would encourage uh, all of you to read all the content that myself and my staff members uh, did put out out there from Hollywood, California. All the content can be found on devilsdigest.com. Lots of good stories and videos from that event. But going back to the vibe that was surrounding Arizona State and how different it was uh, from last year was really striking. As we know, the hire of Herm Edwards as Arizona State's head coach was met with a lot of criticism, not only locally, but nationally. It did cause some very well-respected college football pundits across the country to predict Arizona State winning three, four games at most just because Herm Edwards was the head coach. And I don't mean to belabor that point too much. I know this time last year we talked a lot about that. But consequently, Arizona State, if you recall, in the 2018 media poll was picked sixth and last in the South Division. Arizona State, as we know, proceeded to finish second in that division, had the tiebreaker against Utah, just won one game less than the Utes, and thus did not win their second Pac-12 South championship since 2013. But nonetheless, even though Arizona State lost some key pieces and quarterback Manny Wilkins, wide receiver Nikhil Harry, defensive lineman Rennell Wren, the media at large in Pac-12 country was certainly giving Arizona State much more respect this time around, predicting him to finish third in the South, tied with UCLA. Just to refresh everyone's memory, in the Pac-12 media poll in the South Division, Utah was predicted to finish first in that division with 33 out of the 35 votes, USC in second place with two first-place votes. Arizona State and UCLA, as mentioned, tied for third. Arizona fifth and Colorado sixth. Just quick thoughts about this poll. 
I would agree that aside from Utah, you can point to any other team in that division as having some question marks that really need to be answered, some team matters that are not settled, and it's really anybody's guess how they do get settled later on. So in that sense, I really can't blame the writers uh, picking Utah first in the Pac-12. As far as USC number two, it's a team with a lot of talent, but also a team that definitely has some turmoil of their own. I think that their head coach, Clay Helton, is the only coach on the hot seat out of any Pac-12 team going into the 2019 season. So finishing second could definitely cool that seat quite a bit and retain Helton for a few more years in Los Angeles. When it comes to Arizona State and UCLA tying at third place, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that UCLA definitely has some issues at wide receiver, has some issues on defense, and even at quarterback, you wonder if Robinson can be that signal caller that can really elevate UCLA to a better season than they had last year. Arizona being number five, I really uh, can't say I disagree with that uh, premise. I mean, some may flip Arizona and UCLA as being fourth and fifth, but as much as I think that Khalil Tate is one of the better quarterbacks in the league, as much as I think that J.J. Taylor might be an underrated running back, there's really not a whole lot of talent around them at all on offense and on defense. I don't see uh, a unit that can really outperform 2018, which definitely had its struggles during that campaign. Colorado at six with new head coach uh, Mel Tucker. Can't uh, really fault that pick. There's a lot of work to be done there in Boulder. Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault are definitely an impressive quarterback-wide receiver combo, but they definitely have a lot of issues uh, in the running game with the loss of Philip Lindsay. The defense, which definitely uh, had its struggles in the second half of the year of the 2018 season, didn't get a whole lot better, in my opinion, at all. And I think that that, more than anything, really will cause the Buffaloes to finish last of the division in back-to-back years. Moving over to the Pac-12 media poll in the North Division, Oregon and Washington split the uh, first-place votes, Oregon edging Washington just by one point, finishing ahead of the Huskies. And that's going to be really interesting to see if that does indeed materialize. Justin Herbert, obviously not only the best quarterback in the Pac-12, but also someone that could, at worst, be the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I still have my doubts of uh, Mario Cristobal and the staff that he has over there to really get the most out of the talent uh, that he has. Had a great recruiting class in 2019, has a great one coming in 2020 for that matter. So I'm really uh, curious to see if Oregon can uh, reclaim its glory years from earlier this decade, or does Washington uh, keep on humming along? I think they lost uh, quite a bit, especially in their defensive backfield, which by far has been the strong unit on that Husky squad for the last couple of years. And there's a really nasty rivalry between them and Oregon. And I think that uh, the, these poll results 
Again, having the Ducks just edging the Huskies for that first place pick is uh, definitely going to make for a very interesting next few months over there in the Pacific Northwest. Stanford being uh, third over Washington at fourth place, uh, I really can't say I, I disagree with that. Stanford is a team that you can look at their overall talent and nothing really is eye-popping by any means, but David Shaw is David Shaw, one of the best head coaches in this league, at least in my opinion, and he will find a way to get the most out of his talent, maybe unlike a, a Mario Cristobal in, at Oregon, and Stanford finishing third in that division is something that I can, I can definitely uh, stand behind, and I think that nobody here in Tempe is shedding any tears of uh, missing Stanford due to the uh, rotation that uh, happens uh, every um, every year in terms of ASU not playing two North Division opponents. This year it happens to be Stanford and Washington, and that is a uh, premise that I think a lot of fans, let alone, let alone coaches, would uh, definitely uh, welcome. Washington State has mentioned uh, in fourth place, they're breaking in a new quarterback themselves. I think they have quite a bit of talent on offense, but you know, if you're looking at Arizona State as a team that does have a lot of pieces in place, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, but still needs to break in an inexperienced quarterback, that definitely gives you cause to pause. And even though Washington State did receive one lone first-place vote, I don't see them uh, contending uh, for that division crown uh, by any means. Cal at uh, number five, it's a really interesting team, a team that I predicted uh, to finish much higher last year than they actually did. And in some ways, it didn't, didn't make me look too bad because they really fielded a very strong defensive unit. And and that game that ASU is going to play uh, at Cal in late September that can definitely be quite the landmine because this is a team, again, that from a defensive standpoint can really make your life miserable. And then it's just up to an offense, which definitely doesn't have a lot of talent, in my view, really outperforming, really being able to carry uh, this team or at least match the defensive effort. So Cal's definitely going to be an interesting team to follow and again, just because of their defense being so formidable, I think that they might sneak in a victory or two that may be borderline head-scratching, but nonetheless a victory that was earned first and foremost by a very good defense. Oregon State uh, being picked last in the North, I would say just like Colorado in the South, it's a program in a major rebuilding mode, a lot of changes need to take place, and I don't see them really improving all that much from 2018. So, much like Colorado in the South, I don't think anybody can argue that, at least on paper, Oregon State is the worst team in the North Division. So now that we took a macro view of the Pac-12, let's dive in into the team you all love to talk about, Arizona State Sun Devils, looking position by position at the battles that we expect to see in fall camp.
So taking our comprehensive look at the Arizona State Sun Devils, let's look at the offense. And yes, I know the quarterback situation has been discussed ad nausea. And I'm going to get straight to the point. And it's really nothing different than what I've been stating for months and months now, ever since February spring practice. The AC staff wanted a two-player quarterback battle coming out of spring practice, and that's exactly what they got with junior Dylan Sterling Cole and freshman Jaden Daniels battling for that coveted QB1 spot. So what about the other two quarterbacks, you ask? I doubt that true freshman Joe Yellen pulls a Taylor Kelly, so to speak, and leapfrogs over those two quarterbacks to win the starting job this year. At best, I could see him maybe sneaking in to the backup position, but that would require a borderline jaw-dropping performance by Yellen, as well as a significant regression from spring practice performance by either Sterling Cole or Daniels. It's not a likely scenario, but I guess worth one putting out there just because of what happened to Taylor Kelly in 2012. When it comes to the other two freshmen, Ethan Long, I think that one of the worst kept secrets in Tempe these days is that while Long is starting his ASU career at quarterback, he will not end his tenure in Tempe in that position. And a shift to defense is more than likely a matter of when, not if. Perhaps the only question is when the scout team starts to form in preparation for the season opener. Do we see Yelling or Long assuming the quarterback duties on that unit? I don't think we would see Long at some point this year already lining up on defense, but 2020 could, perhaps even should, be a whole different story in that regard. Now, what will it take to win this quarterback battle between Sterling Cole and Daniels? That's a question I know that is in everyone's mind, so let me give you my take. I don't think any of the signal calls is really going to be asked to do too much in this offense, and the reasons are obvious. We'll talk about the running game in a second, but when you have a bulk carrier of the caliber of Eno Benjamin running behind an all-senior offensive line, that is a recipe for a ball-controlled offense where it's doubtful that you would see ASU's starting quarterback, no matter who it is, average more than 30 pass attempts a game. Just for a matter of comparison, fifth-year senior signal caller Manny Wilkins last year recorded 30.2 pass attempts average, and that's even with a first-round draft pick in uh, Nikhil Harry. So if all those parameters did not tilt the scales of the AC offense in favor of the passing game, you certainly won't see that happening this year. And by the way, just to throw out some more numbers out there, 55% of the offensive plays run by Arizona State were uh, rushing plays. I did take out the 16 sacks out of that equation, so if you include those numbers it might be just a little higher but as we know in the college game unlike the uh, nfl sacks are considered rushing attempt you can debate if that really should be the case or not but nonetheless just to illustrate my point that definitely more than half of the offensive plays that arizona state ran in 2018 again with one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos back then in manny wilkins and akil harry it still was 55 percent running 45 percent passing i doubt you would see those numbers change quite a bit in favor of the passing game in 2019 so the ball controlled offense is obviously one that naturally puts a high value to borrow a worn out todd graham phrase 
bowl security. In spring practice, Jaden Daniels had only one interception, ironically, on his last pass attempt in the spring game. And that certainly gives him the edge, at least in that department, at least right now, when it comes to how you look at full camp and this much sought after or much, I would say, scrutinized position battle. Now, when I talked to Dylan Sterling Cole a few weeks ago, and I would encourage all of you, if you haven't already, to read the interview uh, on devils.dist.com I did with him titled, In My Own Words, Dylan Sterling Cole. The junior admitted that he had wished that he had a cleaner spring, and those are his words. So I'm very curious to see how that actually translates to his performance in these August sessions leading up to the beginning of the season. Conversely, when you talk about Daniels, while I think he's humble enough not to let a great spring practice performance get to his head and affect his fall practice performance, it's also unlikely that the ridiculous accuracy numbers that he put up in February would repeat themselves in August. There's no doubt in my mind that these two quarterbacks, and really the entire group for that matter, will be asked to do more in the passing game just to get a true evaluation of what how the depth chart should be sorted out by those sessions when the coaches do review the film over and over. So while I won't be shocked if Daniels is named the starter, to think that he can just cruise through fall camp without a major challenge or possibly being less sharp than he was in the spring would be, in my opinion, a bit naive. So can Sterling Cole win the starting job? And additionally, when I say win the starting job, do I mean just week one? Or do I mean for the majority of the season, if not the entire 2019 year? Yes, that could happen, but currently my gut feeling tells me that maybe this is the less likely scenario. It would require Sterling Cole to be head and shoulders above Daniels at the culmination of fall camp, and I don't know if the odds favor that outcome. Realistically, I think we will see a neck-and-neck competition between Sterling Cole and Daniels, and to have the coaches essentially state that Sterling Cole is a starter for the Kent State contest, but Daniels will receive considerable reps. That statement should keep Sterling Cole engaged, perhaps also with a chip on his shoulder to prove that he deserves many more reps than the freshman Daniel does, and at the same time gives Daniels hope that he can capture the starting job as a true freshman, and then it may just be a matter of time as to when that happens. Now, I guess one last scenario we haven't discussed is what happens if Daniels is the one that has had the considerably better fall camp performance than Sterling Cole. In that case, I don't think the staff would really hesitate to name Daniels the starter in week one. Now, true, under that scenario, you may lose Sterling Cole figuratively and literally, and he just won't be a part of the 2019 roster. And now you'll be pressed to have Yellen, another true freshman quarterback, be the backup for his fellow true freshman. That's not an ideal situation at all if you operate by the old football cliche that any team is, is only as good as their backup quarterback. Now, this isn't a knock on Yellen, but based on what I we saw from him until now, I don't think it would be too harsh to claim that if he was thrusted into starting duties, that the Arizona State offense uh, could actually better itself compared to 2018. And now whatever already heavy onus you're putting on the running game would now increase tenfold, running a risk of your offense being one-dimensional, to say the least. But going back to that last scenario, and it is something that I've stated many times before, and again, I don't think it's a military top-grade secret by any means, is that the staff, in my opinion, does ultimately want to see Daniels as a starting quarterback. Whether they want to see that take place week one, week three, week six, that might be open for debate. But 
Daniels is somebody who is definitely getting the benefit of the doubt from the coaching staff. And the only question is, how does that premise play out? Needless to say, it'll be fascinating, both for the media and the fans alike, to see all that unfold. So if you're listening to this segment of the podcast, I'm sure that you are not only interested in the quarterback battle, but how the other positions on this side of the ball are looking going into fall camp. So yes, there are some other position battles to talk here, and let's start with the running back. Now, obviously, Eno Benjamin's position as a starter is well cemented. I don't think I need, you need me to explain further about that. And coming off an excellent 2018 season where he broke a 45-year single-season rushing record, collecting 1,642 yards, averaging 5.5 yards a carry, breaking Woody Green's uh, 1,565 yards record set in 1972, is 300 carries, also set a school record that was previously held by Freddie Williams in 1975. Lastly, his nine 100-yard rushing games broke the school single-season record set by Art Malone in 1968 and Wizard White in 1950. So what does Eno Benjamin do for an encore in a 2019 season that very well could be his last as a Sun Devil as he's expected to declare to the, for the 2020 draft at the end of this year? Well, he is definitely going to be asked to be more of an aerial target for the quarterbacks it's goes without saying and that's putting it kindly that arizona state on any given saturday is going to see eight maybe nine man fronts trying to stop you know benjamin and the running game a lot of defenses opposing arizona state are counting on an inexperienced quarterback again whoever that may be to really struggle, especially in the early parts of the season, and knowing that if they can shut down Arizona State's rushing game, at least in theory, they can really shut down the entire offense. So, Eno Benjamin is definitely going to have a much more challenging time running the ball. Uh, you don't have a Manny Wilkins, you don't have a Nikhil Harry to balance out the running game. You do have an all-senior offensive line, which we'll talk about a little later on. But I'm really, really curious to see if Eno Benjamin can come even close to duplicating that numbers because I think eclipsing those gaudy stats might be asking a little too much, even with how everything is uh, setting up this year. Rushing the ball 300 times, and, and if you recall, ASU had just over 500 rushing attempts as a team. That's just around a 75% ratio of one player carrying the load, no pun intended, for the for the ground attack. And I don't think realistically you can expect Eno Benjamin, A, to do that, and B, to do that in such a high level like he did last year. Uh, it's really one of those situations where you don't want to tempt faith 
and try to do more of the same than last year and really expecting uh, the same results. I'm not saying it's insanity, but I just think that opposing defenses, especially in Pac-12, are going to be more equipped to do that. Even uh, you're at a conference opponent, Michigan State, uh, who didn't really feel the wrath of Eno Benjamin last year at all. And now seeing him second time around just a year later are equipped that much more to really shut him down, if not shut down the entire ASU rushing offense. So, as mentioned, the coaches do want Eno Benjamin to be a bigger part of the passing game, to be that quick outlet pass that an experienced quarterback might want to have at his disposal, seeing so many defenders crowding the line of scrimmage. So that's something you definitely want to look out for in 2019 to see if Eno Benjamin can really develop that aspect of his game. I think Eno Benjamin might be asked to pass protect even more than he did last year. With an inexperienced quarterback, you don't know if that individual will tend at times to hold onto the ball a little longer. That obviously challenges everybody that's blocking for the quarterback, not only the defensive line, but also the running back. So that is definitely one aspect that you want to look out for as the season progresses. Maybe not so much the first couple of weeks, but Michigan State and beyond going into Pac-12 play, how much can Benjamin really improve uh, in that aspect? But there's no question that Eno Benjamin may not be given as many opportunities to run the ball like he did last year, but definitely going down from 300 to 250 carries this year, I think, is a reasonable expectation. Now the coaches, at least on paper, definitely want to have a capable number two running back. They want to have a player that when they are spelling Eno Benjamin, the ground attack doesn't take a nosedive. That you're not forced to have the situation where, whether it's A.J. Carter or Isaiah Floyd in the game, that the defense already knows and rightfully is able to predict this being a passing down and not a, not a rushing down. So as much as Eno Benjamin is really key to this offense, I would argue that whoever is going to be a capable backup, and the emphasis is on capable, that will really determine a lot about ASU's rushing game, putting up similar numbers, which again may be divvy up in a healthier manner, if you will, between Eno Benjamin and his backup. So who's that backup going to be? Well, Isaiah Floyd, who was a junior college transfer last year, I thought had a very solid spring. I think that physically he improved quite a bit. So for somebody who is definitely not the tallest running back out there, has proven that he can run pretty well between the tackles. Now, Truth be told that ASU had issues with the defensive line in spring, and that's a, a discussion we're definitely going to have later in the podcast. So in some regards, you might want to take what Isaiah Floyd did in the spring with somewhat of a grain of assault, great assault, but nonetheless, I think that he definitely has the potential to be a, 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 capable, a capable backup. Uh, different running style than you know Benjamin, that sometimes that change of pace in your running game can catch defenses a little bit off guard. So 
I think that that is something that could work well for Arizona State if Isaiah Floyd is able to be effective. Now, when it comes to the other potential backup to Eno Benjamin, A.J. Carter, he's more of the mold of an Eno Benjamin, Eno Benjamin, a little tall, a little heavier at uh, six, six feet even, 223 pounds, so maybe more of a battering running style than Eno Benjamin, who is definitely plenty physical, but also shows a lot of grace, especially with his signature spin move out there and, and really able to do quite a bit of damage in the open fields. A.J. Carter really doesn't have that arsenal of tools, if you will, to, to his disposal. But again, as, as a physical runner, uh, he definitely adds somewhat of a different dimension compared to, you know, Benjamin, definitely different dimension compared to, to, to an Isaiah Floyd. You wonder if A.J. Carter could develop into that running back where on short yardage situations, on goal line situations, maybe for one reason or another, the coaches elect to put him rather than Eno Benjamin out there, how much uh, that can benefit um, the offense. But uh, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no doubt that he can be uh, a valuable uh, complement of size along with Floyd's niftiness to form what should be a pretty good three-man running back group. Other players in this position that may have a little hard time finding uh, some reps. Uh, first is uh, Paul Lucas, if you recall, who was a one-time verbal commit to Arizona State, flipped to Oregon State on signing day back in 2015, uh, prepped at, uh, at Mountain Point High School, so that made uh, that switcheroo maybe a little more painful than uh, other ones that you might experience. He uh, came in, came back, home uh to to run track uh but now is just a member of the um uh, of, of the arizona state football team but probably still might do some track uh later on in the spring i think lucas is somebody that is probably going to make more of an impact in special teams as a returner rather than a running back but somebody who is very similar to floyd uh, in his skill set it'll be interesting to see if some way, somehow, he can crack or semi-crack in, into the rotation as, as the year goes by. Uh, Demetrius Flowers, a uh, true freshman, who some may uh, recall uh, gray-shirted as part of the uh, 2018 uh, recruiting class, arrived here in spring practice, uh, really uh, is was injured and really carrying an old injury from uh, from high school. Be, which definitely affected him in the spring. So hard to really factor him in, in into the rotation of somebody that even can see a, t a token rep here and there. I mean, there's no question in my mind that the four quarterbacks ahead of him uh, are definitely more talented and more deserving of getting reps uh, than he is. So, yes, he's there and part of the running back group. I just wouldn't expect really to see a whole lot from him in 2019 and really maybe 2020, maybe even 2021 at this point is what you can best expect uh, from Flowers in terms of having any significance in the ASU offense. Moving to the wide receiver group, and obviously the question in everybody's mind is how do you even attempt to replace one of the best wide receivers to ever don the maroon and gold 
in Nikhil Harry, who was a first-round draft pick by the New England Patriots this last April. And by the way, the first wide receiver selected in the first round by head coach Bill Belichick. That is a very impressive nugget and really shows you how highly he and the rest of the Patriots brass thought of Nikhil Harry. So daunting task for the ASU coaching staff to try and attempt and replace that production. But I thought all along, and I still think today, that Brandon Ayuk, who was a junior college transfer last year, can just about pull that feet or just really come very close to it. After catching no more than three passes in the team's first eight games last year, Ayuk broke out with six catches for 101 yards and ASU's 38-20 upset win against Utah. Then, a couple weeks later, in ASU's remarkable comeback victory against his arch-rival Arizona, he had a 100-yard game in that contest. I think what really gave us somewhat of a preview of what we can expect from Ayuk in 2019 was the Las Vegas Bowl. Now, obviously, a game that was not memorable, at least from an offensive standpoint, where Arizona State was handed by its defense three turnovers in the third quarter alone and was not able to capitalize on that, in effect, leading to the loss to the Bulldogs on that day. But Ayuk had uh, nine receptions against Fresno State, really showed his prowess also as a kick and a punt returner on that afternoon. And this is a game, as many of you may recall, that Nikhil Harry did sit out due to the NFL draft and not wanting to risk his stock, if you will. So I think really ended up being a win-win situation. Nikhil Harry obviously getting drafted in the first round, something that can definitely help the Sun Devils recruiting-wise, not only with wide receiver, but just really in its overall recruiting efforts. And at the same time, when the light was shining brighter on Ayuk, so to speak, when he was asked to carry more of the passing game load with Harry's absence, he was able to do that quite well. So I think that's a game that Ayuk could definitely build on in terms of his confidence and what he's able to do now that Harry is no longer part of the team. So I think that Ayuk is definitely poised to have a bigger role, a bigger year for his team. Again, if he comes close or not to duplicating Harry's numbers from last year, that, that remains to be seen. But if you're looking for the go-to wide receiver, if you're looking for the straw that's going to stir the drink, so to speak, when it comes to the ASU offense, I think Ayuk is definitely the first player that you're looking for to really be that focal point of Arizona State's passing game. Now, truth be told, with an inexperienced quarterback, the wide receiver's production can definitely suffer. And that's going to be a challenge for the coaches to figure out, really not only in fall camp, but just every week of the 2019 season. So whether Ayuk and his teammates are adversely affected because of the situation at quarterback, that is something that the season will just reveal itself one way or another if that theory is going to hold true or not. 
But Brendan Ayuk, to me, really has the entire skill set to be an impact wide receiver for Arizona State. I think that physically he's built very similar to Nikhil Harry. I don't know if we'll have the same percentage of success in those so-called 50-50 balls that might be thrown his way. But at the same time, I think, and not that Harry was really slow slow afoot or anything like that, but Ayuk, at the end of the day, is a more explosive wide receiver than Nikhil Harry, can do more harm to opposing defenses in the open field. So that facet of his game, along with the physical aspect of his skill set, really complement each other quite nicely. And again, I, I expect big things from Ayuk. I know the coaches feel that way too. And to see Ayuk, for whatever reason, underachieve in 2019, A, would be very disappointing, and B, could be absolutely detrimental for ASU's passing offense. Now, ironically, the highest expectations are placed in Ayuk, who, even though as a senior, at the end of the day, is only a second-year player in the program. And there's some players that have been here longer that could also be major factors in ASU's passing game. The first player I want to talk about is, is Frank Darby, by far the most talented downfield aerial target that the Sun Devils will have at, at his disposal. His uh, career average is 21.8 yards per reception, and that's something you definitely expect from a wide receiver who does a good job of uh, st- stretching the field. Now, I think the challenge for Darby is not to be that one-trick pony where he's always going to be on a go route, on a post route, and not be able to be effective on shorter and medium routes. I think that's really what Darby needs to prove, first and foremost for for himself, but also for the coaches, so you can have a wide receiver that can be on the field on dozens and dozens of snaps, but also give the defense different looks aside from just being that wide receiver that wants to stretch the field, wants to drag a defensive back or sometimes two with him and really be somebody that <clears throat> can prove to be as as versatile as as possible. He's also somebody that really need, needs to prove a lot with his consistency. As mentioned, when you have a forte with one or two very specific routes that really present themselves in a very similar manner, it's really easy to be inconsistent. I mean, the quarterback is out there heaving 20, 30, 40-yard balls down the field, and you either make the catch or you don't. And that's where Darby needs to show that he can be the wide receiver that can really be effective in a complex route tree. So this is definitely a big year for Darby. Much like Ayuk, I feel like he can really break out this year, and it's really going to be interesting to see how much he can capitalize on his God-given talent to not only be a more dependable wide receiver, but also a more well-rounded wide receiver. When you look at Kyle Williams, you're not going to find a higher IQ player and person for that matter on the entire team. The senior has had a very interesting career where he saw his productivity drop quite a bit from 2017 to 2018. 
uh, had 66 receptions and 763 yards in 2017 and seven touchdowns. And last year, those numbers fell to 44 catches, 449 yards, and only two touchdowns. Now, being a slot wide receiver sometimes calls for more blocking assignments than receiving assignments. And needless to say, when you look at Eno Benjamin and the remarkable production he had in 2018 and just the running game as a whole for the Sun Devils and how potent it was, then it's probably not a huge surprise to see Kyle Williams' reception numbers drop the way they did just because he was occupied quite a bit uh, blocking in the running game. But I feel that Kyle Williams is a wide receiver that needs to have an expanded role that needs to be a bigger part of the passing game. He already proved to be a very capable weapon when you have very specific plays like slants, like jet sweeps, like screen passes. I don't think any of the wide receivers can execute those specific assignments better than Kyle Williams can. So he's somebody that is definitely going to be a big part of the running game in terms of a blocker downfield. But at the same time, you just have to walk that fine line where you're not taking him away from his vital blocking assignments, but at the same time also not decreasing his production in in the passing game. So I think Kyle Williams should have better numbers in 2019. Do they come close to those 2017 numbers or not? I would probably say no, but he should have more of a production in the passing game compared to the 2018 season. And if he doesn't, I feel that at the end of the day, that could be a detriment to the Sun Devils passing attack. Behind those three wide receivers, I think the depth chart really can get quite interesting because there definitely is a high degree of uncertainty as to who would be your number four, five, and six wide receivers. John Humphrey and Ryan Newsom are two transfers from Big 12 country, Oklahoma and Texas respectively, who came to Arizona State prior to the 2016 season. And I think there were pretty high expectations for one of them or both of them to be somewhat significant in ASU's passing game. I'm not saying they were expected to be better than Nikhil Harry, for example, by any means, but definitely just really make their mark more than they have so far. These are two players that have been injured a lot during their time in Tempe, have missed several and several games due to various injuries. And you can make a legitimate argument that you just don't know how dependable one of them or both of them can be this year and how important it is to develop other younger wide receivers to be those dependable backups to the three wide receivers that are definitely going to be the starters in Ayuk Darby and Kyle Williams. It may sound like a very harsh statement, but I don't think that deep down the coaching staff really thinks it can rely on Newsom and or Humphrey to be a factor in ASU's passing game in 2019. So if that scenario were to materialize, I don't think it should come as an utter shock to anyone. So which reserve wide receivers could be 
a factor in 2019. I think the first player you would look at is retro freshman Jordan Porter. Combines a great height and elite speed. Runs a reportedly 4.32 in the 40-yard dash, 10.6 in the 100 meters. And certainly a very, very intriguing option for Arizona State's passing game. Granted, he is battling more experienced guys like Humphrey and like Newsom, which, when healthy, could figure above him in, in the depth chart. But I feel that Porter is somebody who showed some flashes both in spring and even in a brief appearance in the Las Vegas Bowl last December. Somebody who definitely needs to refine his uh, technique, become more consistent, which obviously experience can only help you in that department. But Porter is definitely the future of the wide receiver group, the way I see it. And now the only question is how much of his skills will be he be able to display in 2019? Or is this really more of a case that we need to wait until 2020 and beyond to see uh, his impact for the Sun Devils? Rounding out the depth chart over here, we have two true freshmen, Jordan Curley from Texas, Ricky Paracel, locally here from Tempe Corona del Sol. I just don't know, again, assuming that Humphrey and Newsom are healthy, that those two newcomers will be able to see the field all that much. I think Paracel might figure in some way, somehow, into a role on special teams, not necessarily as a returner, but just as a very capable special teams player, definitely one of the faster players on, on the team. So if he were to avoid a redshirt year, that might be the path that he will need to take. But overall, this is a wide receiver group that definitely has a good deal of experience. Health, as mentioned, can really determine how deep this group uh, can be. But more than anything, how quickly they're able to develop chemistry with an inexperienced quarterback, how the performance of an inexperienced quarterback will or will not adversely affect them. Those are major stories uh, to look for when it comes to Arizona State's passing game and its prospects for the upcoming year. When it comes to the tight end group, on the one hand, you definitely have to be impressed with what this unit was able to do, blocking for you know, Benjamin, really being part of a pass protection group that definitely made strides between 2017 and 2018. On the other hand, it's no secret that ASU fans are yearning for these group of players to be a bigger part of the passing game, and the coaches, for that matter, too, would like to see that materialize. Looking at the roster, I think that this group is positioned much better this year than it was just in the last two, three years to become a factor, or a bigger factor, I should say, in the passing game. And I actually start with the freshman, Nolan Matthews. And this is a player that it seems like every time Herm Edwards talks about him, there's a little twinkle in his eye as to how he, how excited he is for this newcomer to really hit the ground running and be a legitimate threat in the passing game from, from the tight end position. He... Definitely was very productive as a senior in high school, hauling in 55 passes for 756 yards and nine touchdowns. Granted, really more in a wide receiver role than a pure tight end role, but nonetheless, 
somebody who's definitely proven to be a capable wide receiver in the high school ranks. So I still think he's a guarantee not to redshirt. He still can be a very capable blocker when he's asked to execute that set of duties. But when it comes to being a capable aerial target for the ASU quarterback, I think he can fulfill that role quite well. The question is, can he establish himself in fall camp or will it be an ongoing process where maybe sometime during the season he ends up getting more and more reps, maybe even threatening for a starting position? Senior Tommy Hudson is the returning starter of this group. Only had uh, 13 receptions last year, so not really factoring that much into the passing game. Definitely did a very good job, both pass protection and run blocking, and definitely a player that I know the coaching staff is going to depend on quite a bit. The question for him is, can he further develop himself as a capable wide receiver? Because if he can be a true well-rounded tight end, then it doesn't matter, I guess, how quickly Nolan Matthews can learn the offensive system and be a capable both blocker and receiver from his tight end spot because I think that Hudson can definitely hold off Matthews if he can develop himself as a better receiver. At worst, I could see in two tight end situation Hudson and Matthews lining on either side of the line of scrimmage. Curtis Hodges last year made the conversion from wide receiver to tight end. Standing six, seven feet tall, definitely an interesting option to have at the, at the tight end position. He showed some flashes as a wide receiver in 2017 and the fade route. Didn't have that much success in 2018. I think this is a move that will do him well. It seems like the coaches are very happy with the way he's playing at tight end. And somebody that if Matthews develops a little slower than expected, then that could probably signal good news for Curtis Hodges and his number of reps on any given Saturday. Rounding out the tight end group, we have uh, Jared Buback, a player that did not even play as a tight end in high school. I think that really causes slow development, learning the position on the college level and even though I don't think the tight end position has had great depth in the last few years, that uh, still did not help Bubek's prospects in seeing significant playing time week in and week out. He did show some flashes in the spring, so I'm interested to see how much he can carry that perceived momentum into fall camp. But a strong fall camp by Nolan Matthews, Curtis Hodges, continuing to develop would probably spell bad news for somebody like Bubak. Last player at the position is Mark Walton. He's somebody who was moved to the defensive line in the spring out of necessity just to have some bodies over there. You could probably expect him to return back to the tight end position, but he is definitely somebody that's buried pretty deep in the depth chart right now. At the end of the day, time is still on his side as an underclassman and someone who's definitely going to have to patiently wait for his turn to make his presence known on the ASU offense. Wrapping up our offensive preview, we'll look at the offensive line. As mentioned earlier, a group that features 
a starting lineup of five seniors, and even the first person coming off the bench will be a senior themselves. So when having an inexperienced quarterback, having so much experience and know-how on the front five is definitely worth us weight in gold. And I definitely would expect Arizona State's pass protection and run blocking, for that matter, to be at the same level of competence as it was in 2018. The offensive line is anchored by Cole Cabral, a legitimate prospect at center. It's rare even at the next level to see a center that stands 6'5", so to have that on a college team is definitely a huge, huge benefit for the front five. Cole Cabral only played full-time center last year, did not give up a sack, and was really able to make that position change along the line very, very successfully. And Arizona State is absolutely fortunate to have such a capable player being the leader of its offensive line. Now, even these two players are seniors, Stephen Miller at right tackle and Zach Robertson at left tackle. These are two individuals that really haven't played the tackle position on a consistent and successful level throughout their tenure at Arizona State. I'm not saying this is necessarily a huge red flag or warning sign for the offensive line, but something that is definitely worth noting. And I think that if there's any aspect of this group that may cause position coach Dave Christensen not to sleep all that well at night, it would probably have to be that. Uh, Steve Miller is somebody that I think played very well as guard, is one of the better linemen on the team for sure. But again, can he play that tackle position at a high level? That is something that is a bit of a question mark. Zach Robertson is one of the highest rated offensive linemen in recent memory that Arizona State was able to land and somebody who certainly has not played up to his capabilities for most of his ASU career. So now assuming the ever important position of left tackle, especially protecting the blind side of an inexperienced quarterback, that seems as a monumental task for somebody like Robertson that really has not been a proven dependable player for Arizona State. So the fact that he's playing left tackle surely isn't part of just the necessity of it because there's really not a lot of experience at all when you look at the second team offensive line. But Zach Robertson is really in a position where is either going to sink or swim, and his performance is one aspect that you cannot overstate its significance in the overall performance, not only of the offensive line, but also the running game and also the number of sacks that this group is going to yield. Again, having an inexperienced signal caller, that is something that can definitely factor in if you, you as a left tackle cannot perform at a high level each and every week. All in all, if there's one player 
that can really either shut up the critics or prove their point from the last few years painfully right, that is definitely offensive lineman Zach Robertson. When you look at the guard position, on the one hand, you have Alex Lasoya at left guard, definitely cemented as a starter. Really remarkable to see a player that ascended quite surprisingly in uh, 2018 and definitely a player that I would say there wasn't really much hope or promise in his prospects to be a significant player on the offensive line. And we talk about Zach Robertson needing to prove the critics wrong. I think Alex Lasor already has done that in 2018. When you look at the right guard position, this is really the only true position battle you have on this unit between uh, Roy Hemsley, who transferred from USC last year, and uh, Kate Cote, the uh, local product. It's really a flip of a coin as to who's going to start and who's going to be a reserve player to start out the 2019 season. Kate Cote, I think, much like Alex Lasoya, is a player that probably wasn't much expected from him last year. I'm not saying he performed at the level of Lasoya, but definitely showed enough flashes to now contend for a starting job. But as you know, it takes two to tango, and Kate Cote being in position to be a starter is also a function of Roy Hemsley not really being consistent in his level of play. Uh, I thought I had a really up and down 2018 season, and time will tell if he can grab that starting job from Kate Cote either to begin the year or maybe down the road. But both Cote and Hemsley should see quite a bit of playing time, I would think, and it's just a matter of how the, the reps on game day are distributed between uh, both of them. The depth chart behind them is painfully young. Uh, Jared Bell, the redshirt freshman, is uh, slated to be the backup center to uh, Cole Cabral. Uh, Spencer Lavelle and Ralph Frias are uh, two redshirt freshmen that are going to line up at tackle. Donovan West, the true freshman who arrived here for spring practice, is going to be uh, at guard one of the options for Dave Christensen and this unit. Cody Shear, a transfer from Oregon, could be an interesting option here as a reserve guard and a player that could capture a starting role in 2020. As we speak, we do not know if the NCAA is going to rule him eligible for the 2019 season or whether he's going to have to sit that year out. But if he is eligible to play this year, I think could actually be more valuable than one may think, again, just because he does have some experience under his belt. Even though he hasn't played at Oregon due to injuries, he's still an older player than the other reserves that Arizona State has right now at its disposal. Running out the depth chart, the true freshmen who are locked to redshirt, uh, Roman DeWeese, the local lineman from Chandler Basha, Ladarius Henderson, and Ben Scott. So now that we covered all the various position groups on offense, let's start talking some defense. Mama Mavis, oh mama, they try my patience. 
is gone Who is left to save us? We mourn, I'm praying for my neighbors They say the devil's at work And is calling favors You say I'm dangerous I speak for the nameless I fly with the vultures I be with them bangers If change don't come Then the change won't come If the bands make them dance Then the rain gon' come Am I passing to the light? Looking to the So when we look at Arizona State's front six, we definitely have quite the contrast between the defensive line and the linebacker units. Our latest article on the front page is a great defensive preview by our staff member Joe Healy, and the title of his article says it all. Solving defensive line question marks will dictate the fortunes of ASU's 2019 defense. It's no secret that in spring practice, it was borderline painful to watch this ASU defensive line. And it's really just a weird situation where you only had three returning scholarship players on the team. You had to convert two players from offense in Mark Walton and, and Corey Stevens. You had uh, a player coming off a retro year in Michael Matus, so actually ended up being a pleasant surprise. More on that a little later, but the numbers were painfully thin. Two of the players returning, Shannon Foreman, George Lee, suffered some injuries, which didn't even allow them to participate in all 15 sessions of the spring. So it was really a weird and frustrating situation, I'm sure, for the ASU coaches and really also for fans to watch trying to get some kind of grasp of what this defensive line is going to look like in 2019. And spring practice did not provide any answers, and that's an understatement. So needless to say that this is one group that's going to rely heavily on its newcomers. But before we talk about the new blood, if you will, on the defensive line, let's talk about the returning players who definitely going to be a significant part of how well this unit is going to fare in 2019. And first and foremost, we'll talk about Jermaine Lole, the sophomore defensive end who really was one of the biggest surprises as a freshman. He didn't start until his 10th game, but he did not relinquish that role either the rest of the way. And even though he doesn't have the experience as guys like Foreman and Lee He is absolutely a lock to be a full-time starter this year. Doesn't really have imposing size for defensive ends at 6'2", 282, but is quite explosive both in pass rush and run stopping. He plays uh, with, with pretty good leverage and, more importantly, really has a violent streak that you necessarily don't see with such young players. And I think that is something that helped him quite a bit have the impact that he had as a newcomer in 2018. George Lee, uh, even though he's a senior, followed a uh, similar path of of that of uh, Jermaine Lole and was a reserve for the majority of the season. But when he did start for the last final games of the year, he came on really, really strong and was definitely one of the better players on this side of the ball. Uh, 
he received uh, in the team banquet the Curly Cup Outstanding Lineman Award. So I think that says a lot of how the coaches viewed his contributions, even though they came much later in the year. Uh, he's uh, definitely somebody that has a good chance at maintaining the defensive end role opposite Lole. I think that he's somebody that really benefited quite a bit when he was shifted from the inside to the outside. He, he's a pretty quick player for somebody who stands 6'3", 275, and somebody that also has that nice balance between being a pretty good pass rusher and also being very good against the run. When I look at Shannon Foreman, I would say compared to Lee and Lole, he's one returning play here that might be in jeopardy of losing his starting position, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes as to why. But he's somebody that actually appeared in all 13 games, uh, started out a defensive end, then he moved moved inside. And at 6'2", 304 pounds, he's definitely suited, at least uh, physique-wise, for the nose tackle position, but he's really one of those nose tackles that is more nimble than physical, and I think that's one reason why he's going to have to battle quite a bit to show that he is worthy, for lack of a better term, of being the starting nose tackle for um, for Arizona State. I think that even if he ended up being a 2D player, he would could be a valuable commodity for Arizona State. And when you talk about the off-season strength and conditioning program and how vital it is for the team as a whole, there's always some individual players that that segment of the off-season becomes much more crucial to their development and to how well they're going to play in 2019. And if I have to, you know, had a top five players in that category, I think definitely Shannon Foreman would be in that group. If he was able to improve the strength considerably from last year, then he's somebody that would be a very valuable component of the ASU defensive line. Now, if there's one player on this group that you really want to keep your eye on, somebody who hasn't really been a factor all that much so far, but can be a bona fide starter and a player that shown the most improvement from last year. That is no nose tackle DJ Davidson, somebody who I project to be the first team nose tackle for ASU when full camp starts. Brings a tremendous size to the table, 6'4, 325. I think that he's somebody who has pretty nice quickness for somebody who is so massive. Was a very capable nose tackle to Rennell Wren last year. Suffered that season-ending injury in the USC game, which also held him out of spring practice. So somewhat of an unknown coming into this year, but I think that in not so many words, the coaches think he can be the heir apparent to Rennell Wren. Definitely has a very similar physical frame and needless to say provides an invaluable physical presence up the middle for the Sun Devil defensive line and in a 3-3-5 the nose tackle is an absolute vital 
component of this line because naturally you're playing with one less lineman and your ability to occupy double teams to open up the gaps for the linebackers to fill becomes crucial for the 3-3-5 defense to be successful. And Davidson is somebody that, I'm not going to say the coaches are drooling over, but felt that his offseason has been very, very productive. They think that his talent's ceiling is very, very high. And I think that if Davidson can really come as promised, then this defensive line, which again, has a lot of unknowns to it, can uh, really, really help solve some of those mysteries, if you will, and have this defensive line play at a high level, perhaps even a higher level than 2018. As mentioned a few minutes ago, Michael Matus, a defensive end that registered last year, was a pleasant surprise during spring practice. By far, the player that benefited the most from the very thin numbers that the defensive line presented in spring practice. By default, he really got a lot of reps and was able to show, at times, pretty impressive pass rushing skills. He's more of a player that will beat you with his brains rather than his sheer strength or athleticism, if that makes sense. But against an all-senior offensive line, at times he definitely uh, held his own and showed some flashes of brilliance that if he can build on in fall camp, I think would be an intriguing uh, possibility to be in Arizona State's uh, too deep. I think there's a lot of very talented players that he's going to have to battle against. But sometimes all it takes is having a strong spring practice to really establish yourself, establish yourself once fall camp starts and the rest just flows in your favor. So really curious to see how Michael Matus can try and further elevate himself after a pretty good spring practice on his part. So we talked quite a bit at the newcomers at the defensive line and how vital they're going to be for the overall success of the unit. So let's uh, start looking in detail and see who are the players over here that can really stand to make an impact in their first year as Sun Devils. Well, when it comes to uh, Roe Wilkins, the uh, transfer from Rice, he really only has one year to make his presence known in Tempe. But he's someone that three years at Rice in 37 games has tallied 102 tackles, including 15 for loss and eight and eight and a half uh, sacks. He was an honorable mention All-Conference USA as a sophomore and as a junior. And actually uh, coming to see you in a bit of, a, of an upswing because just about half of his tackles came in 2018 uh, where he had a career best of 50 tackles and a career high of eight and a half tackles for loss. So I think this is a player that at worst um, is going to be a valuable uh, depth guy uh, at defensive end, but at a position that doesn't have a lot of experience to have a graduate transfer like Wilkins, I think can be greatly beneficial for Arizona State. TJ Pasifea is a junior college 
transfer that chose ASU over Arizona, so I'm sure that makes him a fan favorite immediately. But he also is somebody that adds a lot of bulk at 6'4", 312, very similar to uh, DJ Davidson. And at nose tackle could be quite the addition for the Sun Devils. He played only one year um, at a junior college uh, level, and because he was a qualifier out of high school, then he's eligible to play right away. Uh, last season as a freshman American River, he posted 17 tackles, including one and a half loss, one and a half tackles for loss, I'm sorry, with one sack. And something to keep in mind is that uh, defensive tackles su- such as Pesafea really don't post great numbers. They're more about occupying blockers, opening things up for linebackers, and he's somebody that obviously on film showed quite a bit to the ASU coaches that he's capable of executing those duties at the Pac-12 level. And just having him and Davidson as as a nucleus of the nose tackle position for Arizona State for years to come, I think uh, is something that can be very, very beneficial for Arizona State and for a defensive line that may be still trying to figure itself out with so many new bodies. But I think that uh, Pesafea is somebody who, if you don't have high expectations for, I think may surprise you quite a bit. I think somebody that has some nice pass skill traits in his arsenal and again, with a 6-4-3-12 body, should definitely be very capable against the run and definitely being front and center on the mind of any offensive lineman that is lining up across from him. The only true freshman defensive lineman that I see having a good, if not great, chance to make an immediate impact is Stefan Wright from Cathedral High School in Los Angeles. By far the marquee defensive signee for Arizona State's 2019 class. He was ranked as a number 165 overall prospect in that class and number 15 among strong side defensive ends. Uh, Comes with excellent size for somebody so young, 6'3", 270. Somebody that I feel is a very versatile and well-rounded lineman, especially for being so young. The question mark concerning Wright is that he uh, suffered a torn labrum towards the uh, end of his high school senior season. I'm not expecting him to be limited uh, in uh, fall camp, but uh, the question is, how is that combination of not being all that far removed from that injury and now playing at a higher level of football, how does that combination affect him? At all, uh, that that's something that that's definitely be, be worth following. But I think uh, Stefan Wright is somebody that at the defensive end position does definitely stand a chance uh, to make an early impact for Arizona State if he can play up to his potential. If he can really develop quickly as a true freshman, he could prove to be a very valuable commodity for uh, Arizona State. Another uh, defensive end, true freshman, is Amiri Johnson. Uh, In comparison to Wright, he is uh, definitely uh, more of a project, somebody who is a lock 
to redshirt uh, in 2019. Uh, somebody that has a great size that the Arizona State coaches definitely covet at the defensive line position at 6'6", 235. Whenever you have players that tall, leverage and pad level uh, becomes an issue, and uh, that is definitely one of uh, Amiri Johnson's shortcomings. But if he can really benefit from that redshirt year, if he can really take full advantage of what that forced hiatus, if you will, can provide to him, then he is somebody that I think could be a very exciting player for ASU uh, in the future. Uh, the last uh, true freshman here is uh, Anthony Cooper, a uh, 6'3", 275, uh, strong side defensive end prospect, uh, locally here from Goodyear Millennium. He's actually coming in as a uh, blue shirt player, which means that uh, he's uh, listed uh, on the roster and he can play this year, but actually counts towards the 2020 uh, recruiting class just because he has not officially visited uh, Arizona State. Somebody who I probably would project to play inside, and I think now with a little of a bottleneck that you would have with Shannon Foreman as a returning nose tackle, uh, DJ Davidson and TJ Pasifea, who, uh, if not mounting a serious challenge, can really become actually the starter of this role, especially when you talk about DJ Davidson. So Cooper can kind of get lost in the mix and hard to see him avoiding a redshirt year. Probably has a better chance than Amiri Johnson in that department. But uh, overall, I think somebody who you're just happy to have uh, for the future contributing to ASU. Moving to the linebacker position for the Sun Devils, and this is definitely one unit that had three outstanding freshmen last year that were really not only a, a very pleasant surprise for ASU, but I felt were the heart and soul of a defense that showed a lot of improvement from 2017 to 2018. How good was his linebacker group? Well, one of its members, Merlin Robertson, was voted Pac-12 Freshman Defensive Player of the Year, an honor that you really saw from a thousand miles away the manner in, in which he hit the ground running was very impressive. He definitely delivered on the high accolades that he came from the high school level at. Merlin Robinson led ASU in tackles with 77, tackles for loss, eight and a half, and sacks with five of them. And he also became the first true freshman to lead Arizona State in tackles since uh, Jason Shivers did so all the way back in 2001. Uh, Robinson has the ability of not only to impacting the game on its own, but also making those around him better. And when he was absent for that uh, first half in the road game against Oregon due to a targeting penalty that he suffered the week before, you could see how his teammate Darren Butler was affected by it because that first half where Robertson was sidelined, Butler, who had a great freshman season himself, was trying was kind of struggling to find himself. And once Robinson entered the lineup in the second half, not only did he have an immediate impact 
on the game by the first three, four snaps, but Butler's game elevated that much more. Robertson is somebody who has great size at uh, 6'3 for, for a linebacker. And even though he played very, very well outside last year, he uh, is actually going to make the move inside and switch places with Butler. And I think that that move, which we saw it coming uh, during spring practice, because for most of, most of the sessions, uh, that's the lineup that we saw, I think really helped Robinson a lot because he did have issues at times, even though he has a bigger frame for linebacker to shed blocks. And when you play inside, that's something that you really don't have to be bothered with uh, that much. In terms of quarterbacks trying to complete passes right up the middle, uh, Butler being 5'11 was somewhat challenged in that uh, capacity. Now they have a 6'3 middle linebacker uh, that uh, is something that would definitely cause opposing signal callers to think twice about trying to complete a pass in that vicinity. But uh, back to Robertson, uh, somebody who has great, great football instincts, definitely very advanced for somebody who's such a young player, uh, somebody who I don't feel even has shown how physical he really could be just because as a freshman, you're not able to be in the strength and conditioning program all that long. And now having that uh, one-year program under your belt, I expect to see a much more physical Robertson, but somebody who also can balance with, uh, with, with quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of, a, of, a, of agility and definitely is going to have athleticism that's going to be above average for that for that middle backer position, and I think that can create some uh, matchup uh, problems for for opposing teams. So, Robinson is a guy that definitely makes you excited to see what's in store in 2019. And now, with a new position at Mike linebacker, is definitely uh, poised to have just as good of a season as he had in in 2018. So we mentioned Aaron Butler uh, a couple of minutes ago, and uh, really, if it wasn't for Robertson, I think we were talking about Darren Butler being uh, the most impress- impressive uh, freshman on on the ACU defense in 2018. He started all 13 games. This is a player that was barely recruited out of high school. Give a lot of credit to position coach Antonio Pierce, who coached against Butler while Pierce was the head coach at Long Beach Poly. He knew how good of a player he is. He knew that this was a case where he had to look past the measurables and don't be concerned about a linebacker that's around 5'10", 5'11", but see actually what he brings to the table in terms of skills. What I like about uh, Darren Butler is that um, just having that mentality of being overlooked, just having that mentality of not looking like an Adonis at linebacker really shaped into the player that he is today. and to uh, notch uh, 70 tackles as a, as a, as a true freshman, uh, to play over 700, 750 defensive snaps uh, the entire year. Uh, though Those are feats that are definitely the exception and not the norm when it comes to true freshmen all around the country, especially true freshmen that are much higher rated than, uh, than Butler was. Um, I personally really like this, the brute strength and a bowling ball playing mentality that he plays with. 
And I think the fact that they're moving him to the outside, I mean, sure, Merlin Robinson and his skill set being more suited for the inside is part of that move. But moving Butler to the outside definitely shows the coach's confidence in his mobility, in his agility to be that sideline to sideline linebacker that is able to successfully cover receivers coming out of the backfield or coming on slant or screen routes. And also Butler proving to be a very good run-stopping running back can uh, certainly be an asset for plays that opposing offenses would run in terms of stretch plays or just plays off tackle. You have a very capable linebacker in Butler who now can combine his strength with his mobility. Now, when it comes to the projected third starting linebacker here, this is where things get really interesting and you have a battle between a fifth-year senior and a sophomore who last year as a redshirt freshman really bursted out of nowhere onto the scene to have a solid 2018 campaign. So let's start uh, with the older player, fifth-year senior Kalen Kirst-Thomas, who uh, stepped into the first-string duty in the spring as sophomore Tyler Johnson was out with a shoulder injury. And Chris Thomas played so well, was in the best shape he's ever been as, as a Sun Devil, and performance-wise, definitely turned a lot of heads. He earned so much praise from his coaches that his position coach, Antonio Pierce, said back in the spring that he was the only penciled-in starter of the group. Now, obviously, I think some of it was really to light a fire under players like Butler and Robertson to step up their game in the spring, which I think eventually they did. But Chris Thomas, whether it's improving his physique, whether it's improving the knowledge of his game, is definitely in the best position that he's been ever since arriving at Arizona State. He's always been a linebacker that's been lost in the mix, backing up players in previous years like Christian Sam and, and DJ Calhoun. And last year just had, on the one hand, a player, a player like Tyler Johnson outperforming him, which was a surprise, I guess, to some. And also having a guy like Merlin Robinson, who really came as advertised and was a sensational uh, freshman. But uh, Chris Thomas, I think, just took all those I don't know if frustration is the right word, to heart, and was determined not to transfer out like some other players uh, did at this position and really try his best to leave Arizona State with a blaze of glory. And if spring practice is any indication, he just might uh, do that. He's definitely playing at a level you would expect a veteran player to play at. He uh, is somebody who is a very good pass rusher for, for being a linebacker. I would say that overall agility is better than the other outside linebacker in, in, in Darren Butler. Now that he's more physical, I think that really complements the mobility factor that, that, that he can bring, uh, that he can bring to the table. And he really has the opportunity to have his best year as a Sun Devil also be his last year. This story is kind of shaping up as uh, some ASU defensive backs 
back in 2012, if some of you recall, players like Devron Carr and Keelan Johnson, who were basically ghost, if you will, for the first three years of playing at Arizona State in their senior year, uh, definitely were able to step up their game quite a bit and uh, become factors in the ASU defense then. And I think uh, Kalen Chris Thomas is definitely headed in that direction. So back to Tyler Johnson. He is somebody that definitely has an NFL body, and I also think an NFL ceiling potential. At 6'4", 258, he definitely passes the eye test and then some. And this wasn't a matter of somebody who just relied on his physicality. I think is I think he's somebody that really, really benefited from the three three five scheme change. The ASU coaches wanted to have somebody with defensive end size line up at linebacker. And Johnson, who is plenty athletic for somebody his size, was able to have a solid Season with eight tackles for loss, four sacks, 38, ta- 38 tackles overall, and somebody who played much more in the last half of the season than he did the first half. It was easy in some sense to get overshadowed by his fellow newcomers in Butler and Robertson, but I really think that he made a name for his own and definitely proved that he was just as valuable a commodity in the def- in the linebacker group as Butler and Robinson were. Um, he's somebody that I think the physical tools are there. Sure, he needs to be a little more consistent, but you can say that about every every young player. He's definitely a mismatch physically, but I just think the maturity and the mental side of his game hasn't caught up yet to the his physical attributes. Once that happens, look out. I think that when all, all is said and done, he may actually have just as good of a career, maybe even slightly better than a Merlin Robinson or, or a Darren Butler. I think he has that much potential. But for all of that to come together for him, I'm not going to say it's been a painful process, but probably slower than he and more importantly the coaches would want to take place. So now that he's in serious jeopardy of losing his starting position to Chris Thomas, and again, to Chris Thomas Thomas's credit, it's not like he's robbing Tyler Johnson or taking advantage of Johnson uh, recovering from a shoulder injury that did sideline, sideline him in the spring. Chris Thomas has played phenomenal and deserves everything that's coming his way. But you just wonder that if a healthy Tyler Johnson, and again, somebody who can have the mental aspect of his game catch up with his physical attributes, would it even be a conversation of him starting out full camp as a second team, second teamer? That's uh, definitely just interesting question to ponder. And, it could be that Tyler Johnson just has a improbable role change in going from somebody who ended 2018 as the penciled-in starter that Chris Thomas was bestowed with that title in the spring. Now it becomes just a valuable player off the bench. Uh, t- time will tell how all that unfolds. 
you always talk about the handful of so players that need to have a huge fall camp. And I think Tyler Johnson is one of them. If he can regain his performance from 2018 and again, just make sure that from the neck up, he's able to be in a better state of mind, state of mind, no pun intended. He will certainly prove that he could be quite the asset for this ASU linebacker group. Other players here in the depth chart are Kyle Soley, who earned quite a bit of playing time as a redshirt freshman and should be one of the first names called off the bench for uh, Arizona State. He's somebody that consistently earns the praise of both Pierce and defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez, and I would fully expect him to be at the rotation at, at outside linebacker. One player that also uh, caught a lot of praise is newcomer Chase. Case Hatch, I'm sorry, who uh, prepped over here locally at Gilbert Perry, went to uh, an LDS mission following high school, and defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez commented that usually when you have players coming off a mission, it's uh, quite evident to see how out of shape they are for understandable reasons. But uh, he joked that uh, Case Hatch must have been in... uh, some kind of special LDS mission because it looks like he was able to work out for the last two years. And physically, he definitely came quite prepared or more prepared than folks thought he would for spring practice. I think he can prove to be a very capable backup Mike linebacker to Merlin Robertson. And don't be surprised when the situation calls for it on offense to see him line, line, line at the fullback position, I think. That is something that could reveal itself later on in the 2019 season. Also somebody that I think could do a fine job on special teams as well. So maybe not a huge name to be surprised by in spring practice, but I think uh, Case Hatch is somebody who has pretty much cemented his position as a uh, second teamer on this ASU defense. Then now you have uh, two players coming off a redshirt year, uh, Eli Doyle and Stanley Lambert. Doyle is somebody who moved uh, from the secondary to the linebacker this spring and I think is a player that is going to have to be extremely patient, still develop at a rate where the coaches would see a bright future for him. But when we talk about players that might wait even until 2021, to really make their presence known, I think Eli Doyle certainly falls in that category. Stanley Lambert is kind of an unfortunate situation uh, because he is one of the bona fide athletic freaks on this team. Just because the linebacker group was pretty much set, he wasn't able to play a whole lot, but luckily did not play over four games, so was able to preserve his retro season for the 2018 campaign. The unfortunate part here is that he suffered a very serious knee injury during bowl preparation and was out for spring. His availability in full camp might be rosier than initially thought, and I think midway through fall camp, we should see Stanley Lambert practicing without limitations. I don't know how much that may or may not translate into capturing a position in the two deep once the 2019 season commences, but somebody who definitely has loads of potential over here, 
when you talk about the future of this linebacker group for years to come, Stanley Lambert is definitely a big part of this conversation. And I'm really uh, curious to see if he can still be somewhat of a factor in 2019, or is it something that, again, we have to wait, like many other players, for 2020, 2021 to see what he's able to bring to the table. Uh, the last player I'll mention over here as part of the linebackers group is uh, Elijah Juarez. Much like Anthony Cooper is also a blue shirt member, so somebody whose scholarship does count towards the 2020 recruiting class. He's somebody that was coached by Antonio Pierce at Long Beach Poly. He uh, ended up choosing ASU over Utah, so I know ASU fans will like that little tidbit. At 6'2", 238 is another, another physical presence at linebacker that some of the program thinks that he just may surprise and may find himself on the field. In a deep linebacker group, uh, I'm somewhat skeptical of that, but uh, stranger things have happened. So Eliza Juarez may be a name that you want to keep in mind as the season begins here in a few weeks. We'll end our preview of the Arizona State defense with its defensive back group. And whenever you talk about this unit, the conversation in my mind starts and ends with a pair of cornerbacks who are going to enter 2019 in their third consecutive year as starters. I'm obviously talking about senior Kobe Williams and junior Chase Lucas. I've said many times before that I don't know how many positions in college football are more unforgiving than being a cornerback in the Pac-12 facing some of the most potent offenses in the country every Saturday. And I think that the fact that you have two solid cornerbacks with so much experience at your disposal is really a luxury that many, many other teams in the conference would gladly trade places with. So when you look at uh, Chase Lucas, he's somebody that I felt, I don't know if regressed is too strong of a word, but somebody who after playing cornerback for the very first time ever in the 2017 season was a second team all pack 12 selection, the only underclassman of that group during that year and really was poised, I felt, for even a stronger 2018 season because, as we know, the most improvement usually is evident between your freshman and sophomore year. And in 2018, that simply did not happen for Chase Lucas. When I interviewed his position coach, Tony White, months ago, he didn't feel that Chase Lucas regressed. He just felt that he just didn't make as many spectacular plays or especially stood out in 2018. And maybe that gave the perception that he did actually take a step back. I think that Chase Lucas is somebody that may have played the run in 2018 better than he actually uh, defended the pass. But when you talk about players 
coming in with a chip on their shoulder, wanting to erase the memories of 2018 to some extent. I think Chase Lucas would probably be part of that group. Didn't have a bad year statistically-wise. 62 tackles, 6 for loss, 2 sacks along with 3 interceptions. Uh, Those are pretty good numbers, but I think for somebody that is looking to be a legit prospect for the 2020 NFL Draft, as a redshirt junior, Chase Lucas is probably looking for a better year, and I think there's a good chance that he just might achieve that. Kobe Williams, the cornerback starting opposite Chase Lucas, is an absolute rock, not only at this position, but really in the entire defense as a whole. He came in as a late signee from the junior college ranks prior to the 2017 season and basically cemented his starter position from day one. And he improved, I think, that much more from 2017 to, to 2018. His consistency, again, is something that has been mentioned time and time by the ASU coaches, and I think just anyone watching ASU on a regular basis can attest to the high-level play and to the uh, minimal amount of mistakes that Kobe William may commit each of each and every week. And I think just overall, Arizona State, as mentioned, is very lucky to have two quarterbacks starting now for the third consecutive year and still playing at a pretty high level. So what does the depth chart look behind these uh, two uh, quarter these two cornerbacks? Well, uh, to Marcus Davis, who was named the uh, scout team defensive, I'm sorry, defensive scout team MVP for ASU following the 2018 season as a transfer from Baylor. And somebody that I think may have come with just a little too many accolades coming into spring practice because when he was inserted to the starting position because Chase Lucas had to miss the first two weeks of spring practice due to personal reasons. I don't feel Tamarcus Davis was able to take full advantage at all of that opportunity. And case in point, once Chase Lucas returned to practices, he also returned to the starting lineup. And I would hardly characterize Chase Lucas's starting position as being in peril as we start fall camp over here in a couple of days. But DeMarcus Davis is somebody who, at worst, could be a very, very capable backup for the Sun Devils. I think he's somebody who plays uh, with with an edge that you don't always see cornerbacks play, play with, uh, not afraid at all to mix it up, is uh, very, very athletic, very twitchy. And, again, when you talk about the some of the players that you may not you may not, you may see a whole lot more in 2020 or 2021 than you when you'll see in 2019 that's another player you can add to that bunch uh Darren Cornet enters senior season as, as a reserve cornerback but I feel that he's going to be hard pressed to earn snaps uh in in the two deep played in 11 games last year but primarily on special teams only notched two tackles and when you talk about a player that gets recruited over I think uh, Darren Cornet definitely fits that description. 
and the two players that uh, are definitely in good position to capture his his role on the two deep are uh, Jordan Clark and Keon Markham. Jordan Clark is the son of 13-year NFL veteran, one-time Pro Pro Bowl pick Ryan Clark, uh, by far one of the premier signings for the Arizona State uh, 2019 class as a four-star who actually played his uh, high school career at uh, Baton Rouge University Laboratory School. Somebody who, with his bloodlines, is probably more technically sound than a lot of other freshman cornerbacks across the nation and someone who will not be a shocker at all to skip his redshirt year just because of the competition he's against, but also because of his God-given skills. Uh, Markham, who was actually joined by the uh, in the signing class by his twin brother, Kehuan, uh, uh, is uh, a player that, much like Kobe Williams, was also coached by uh, Antonio Pierce at, at Long Beach Poly a couple years ago. He's rated as the number number 30, 36 uh, athlete prospect uh, by rivals. And somebody I think also going to be a contributor, uh, possibly on special teams as well, but really fits that mold of being a taller defensive back standing at 6'2", 195. And even the NFL world, let alone in the college football world, you want to have those more taller, you want to have, I'm sorry, those taller and more physical cornerbacks at at your disposal to deal with wide receivers who stand as tall and uh key and markham definitely from a physical standpoint an athletic standpoint does fit that bill for him it's just a matter of how quickly he can adapt to the college game adapt to asu's scheme and uh be a part of that too deep but i think both him and jordan clark do have a fair chance, if not a good chance, to skip the redshirt year just because of the depth chart that is present right now at cornerback. Wrapping up our defensive preview, let's talk about the safeties group. And I know I used a few times during this podcast the phrase, one of the most intriguing players on this ASU team. So I'll use it uh, one last time, and that is when talking about Tyler Wiley, who is slated to start at the Tillman safety position. And you talk about an up-and-down story. Tyler Wiley has been granted a six-year of eligibility, and that's because last year in full camp, where he was outstanding at the Tillman safety position, he suffered a broken ankle, which sidelined him, sidelined him for the entire 2018 season. NCAA was able to grant him a waiver, and even during spring practice for the first six, seven sessions, he was not uh, doing full contact work, and one was and one was wondering what we were able to see from him in spring practice to give you some hope that he could be the player that the coaches always envisioned him to be at the Tillman safety. Well, he uh, did end up taking more than a handful full contact sessions to end spring practice, even had a pick six in the spring game. And 
all in all, is slated to be one of the leaders of this defense. Obviously, being an upperclassman and then some, being a six-year in the program, can really provide a calming effect to an otherwise very young safety position. You talk about a player that, not that he's lacking in physical attributes or ability, but someone whose techniques, mechanics, IQ, understanding of the game are really his uh, strongest uh, strongest calling cards and why he is absolutely so valuable at that Tillman safety position. So while he should also be mentioned as one of those players that can end his ASU career on a much stronger note than previous years where he barely saw the field. One of the most exciting players on defense, I feel, is sophomore Shari Croswell. He's somebody that, with Merlin Robinson, came in later after the coaching change in Tempe as a four-star prospect, somebody who played under Antonio Pierce, so it's obvious why he did end up in Tempe over other schools. But it's really remarkable I didn't take him that long to showcase his immense talents. And as a true freshman, he already entered the starting lineup at, at, at week three, ended up earning honorable mention, all Pac-12 accolades, had 43 tackles, including a team-high Four interceptions, which was tied for fourth among all freshmen among FBS schools. Obviously had the very memorable interception deep into the fourth quarter in the comeback win against Arizona. Something that I'm sure is going to hold him near and dear to ASU fans for the rest of time. But he is uh, definitely somebody who was cemented his starting position at one of the Ranger safety safety positions. Uh, he's a player that really got his be better and better as the season progressed, especially in terms of not dropping interceptions, something that really plagued him quite a bit for the first half of the Pac-12 season, but something that he was also able to master quite nicely down, down the stretch. It was really remarkable that ASU having spring practice barely a month and a half after their bowl game to see what kind of physical change Ashari Croswell is able to make in just, I don't know, six, seven weeks. Already looked much more physical. I can only imagine now with a longer strength and conditioning program what he will look like physically when fall camp begins. But in terms of a combination of size and speed, I don't think that there's any player on the ASU defense that can top what Croswell can bring to the table in that aspect. And I think he's also somebody that doesn't heavily rely on his God-given talents, which are abundant in his case. He's somebody who really was able to increase his knowledge of the game, which I think manifested itself with the number of interceptions he had uh, down the stretch and again putting up a stat that is more than respectable among freshman defensive backs 
around the country. Evan Fields is somebody who uh, did see some action at the Tillman safety position last year and did start the final uh, three games of the season when uh, then-senior Jalen Harvey was, was out with injury. But somebody that is also not able to hang on to that Tillman safety position this year, I think Tyler Wiley is going to start over him. I think that he's a player that wasn't able to fully master the three-three-five scheme and just the fact that somebody like Tyler Wiley is able to do it at a higher level is what is keeping Fields from uh, being a starter in 2019. Now, once Wiley exhausts his eligibility, I'll be curious to see if Fields can reclaim that starting position that he did have in the very latter part of the 2018 season. But right now, he will uh, be somebody that should be Wiley's backup when the season starts and be a very valuable 2 deep player for Arizona State. Somebody who uh, greatly maximized that uh, retrograde rule of 2018 was Cam Phillips. He appeared in only two games, but uh, started in one, had 14 tackles and an interception, and was able to post a career-high seven tackles in a win uh, over, over UCLA. Also had an interception uh, in a game against Oregon a week later. It was also a game that uh, he, he yielded a touchdown. He also yielded a touchdown against USC. So he definitely had the ups and downs that you would expect a true freshman to have. But another player that uh, coaches have, uh, have been glowingly talking about in the offseason and somebody who I expect uh, to be the starter at the other safety ranger position opposite uh, Croswell. Then... Uh, Looking at the other players that are looking to crack the two deep, uh, I, all uh, three true freshmen over here, uh, Willie Hartz, Kehwan uh, Markin, and, and Connor Soli, definitely have a good chance of be, of being uh, backup players uh, solely at the Tillman position, Hartz and Markham at the two, uh, at the two Ranger positions. Hartz is somebody who is a very... Versatile, versatile player, uh, posted actually over 2,000 all-purpose yards during his high school career and also had 95 tackles and six uh, interceptions. One of the fastest players uh, on the team and I think under the radar uh, could end up being quite a steal in this uh, 2019 class. Kwan Markham, who, as mentioned earlier, is a twin brother of uh, Keon Markham, uh, somebody who... Uh, Started multiple areas for, for Long Beach Poly this past season. He posted 116 tackles and 14 interceptions during his high school career. And in offense, he was a, a standout performer wide receiver. Also a an elite track team star. Uh, Long Beach Poly uh, did post the uh, fastest uh, 4 by 100 meter in, uh, in, in, in the entire state of California in, in, in 2019. And... Somebody who is definitely one of the more athletic, uh, athletic players uh, on defense, if not in, on the entire team. We, we mentioned the measurables of, of his uh, twin brother, so obviously his measurables are the same. And you just cannot stress enough how much the coaches wanted to have physical 
defensive backs on this team, and the Markham the tw- the Markham twins definitely fit that bill in that sense. Uh, Willie Hart's is somebody who's very similar in size at six one. So it'll be interesting to see not only in twenty nineteen but moving forward how a taller and more athletic defensive back group is really able to reshape this uh, ASU defense. Uh, Connor Soli, uh, locally here from Scottsdale Saguaro, a very productive uh, linebacker for the Sabercats, uh, had um, 121 tackles, including 23.5 for loss for an undefeated Saguaro team that captured, I believe, its fourth consecutive state title in, in, in 2018. He did play linebacker for the Sabercats, but is going to play uh, Tillman safety for ASU. Really curious to see if he can edge out uh, Evan Fields as the backup to to Tyler Wiley. Uh, Soli is somebody who has really un- underrated speed, which I think is uh, going to show quite quite surprisingly to some at least in, in, in fall camp. Maybe he can figure in. As a special team player, is not not so much as a returner, but just a member of a, of a few special team units. But somebody that I think the coaches are really also excited uh, with with uh, his potential and what he can uh, bring to the table. Last but not least, let's touch on ASU's special teams and how they're shaping going into fall camp. Brandon Reese, in some respects, had a quiet sophomore campaign compared compared to his freshman one on the one hand had the game-winning field goal against michigan state definitely has to be the highlight of his young career at arizona state but later on he proceeded to miss one field goal attempt in four consecutive games so not saying he had a sophomore slump but definitely a roller coaster of a 2018 for sure but when you look uh, at his numbers, uh, career field goal attempts, he's converted 75.5%. 100 out of his 153 kickoffs have, have gone have gone for touchbacks. Has um, 205 uh, career points in two years for the Sun Devils, and his accuracy also improved noticeably as a sophomore for to 81.8%. So, Brandon Reese is someone who. I would say is coming into 2019 as a legitimate offensive weapon for Arizona State. And when we talk about the challenges that the passing game may encounter because of an inexperienced quarterback, it's not out of the question that Arizona State could find itself in a lot of close contests where defense is able to keep the opponent at arm's length, but an offense that is having its maybe even somewhat understandable issues with the passing game is needing just a field goal to secure a win or just or just hold on to a win late in the fourth quarter. So Brandon Reese, I feel, is definitely going to have a lot of opportunities to be that hero that can come through uh, for the ASU offense and maybe steal a game, if you will, here and there with his uh, field, uh, field goal uh, kicking abilities. I know that special teams coach Sean Slocum wanted him to improve his physicality by all accounts that did take place during the offseason. And that should manifest itself, I think, with a higher touchback percentage. Uh, 
I think that Reese range has been has been fine. Maybe took a little of a dip in 2018, but if that improved physicality, physicality, if that productive strength strength and conditioning session over the spring and summer months did really provide the expected dividends for Reese, then we should see definitely improvements both in his range as a field goal kicker as well as having a higher touchback percentage. Okay, the last time I'll use one of the most intriguing players on this year's ASU team is going to be the punter, Michael Turk. And if that uh, last name does sound familiar, he has quite the bloodlines, has several family members who played as punters in the NFL and also other positions as well. As a true freshman at uh, Louisiana in 2017, he set a school single-season single punting average record at 42.7. And truth be told is that the departure of Michael Sleep Dalton definitely had to do with the emergence of uh, Michael Turk last year on the scout team. The coaching staff basically realized that in 2019, it was going to be Turk rather than Sleep Dalton that was going to be the starting punter. And Sleep Dalton, one way or another, saw the writing on the wall, decided to transfer Landon in Iowa. And Turk is entering uh, 2019 as an undisputed starter for the for the ASU uh, punting job. He's somebody that has uh, a better leg strength, I think, than Sleep Dalton, and is definitely a very good spiral punter. So now the question is, can he be, become a more directional punter to really establish himself as a, as a well-rounded player at, at, at this position? But all in all, the coaches definitely feel that Turk is an upgrade over Sleep Dalton. And 2019, uh, one way or another, will show that theory to be true or not. Riley John returns for his junior season as a long snapper after appearing in all 13 games last year for Arizona State. Long snapping, I felt, uh, really was not an issue for ASU. So to have a returning experience player at that position, a position that you usually don't pay a lot of attention to unless things go wrong, I think is some, something that cannot be overstated in the grand scheme of things of, it, of its importance. Uh, one nugget I'll, I'll, I'll put over here that a player by the name of Eric Dickerson, <laughs> which, uh, as some may know, was also the name of a star uh, NFL running back a couple decades ago. He is uh, the uh, long snapper uh, arriving from Scottsdale Community College that is going to battle uh, Riley John. So, It'll be interesting to see if uh, Dickerson can uh, figure in uh, later on, perhaps, as a, as a starting long snapper. That will definitely be a name that will be very hard to forget. And uh, lastly, talking about uh, special teams and uh, the uh, possible returners over here. So while uh, wide receiver Brandon Ayuk was uh, the team leader in 2018 in both total punt and kick return attempts, as mentioned, did a very, very good job in both of those departments in the bowl game against Fresno State. So, in terms of replacing Nikhil Harry, 
not only as a star wide receiver, but Harry was also, as some may recall, a second team OPAC 12 punt returner. And I think uh, probably most <laughs> most notably that was given to him because of his uh, sensational long punt return in a win at USC in 2018. Uh, Brad is, you know, may have somewhat big shoes to fill in that regard as well. But I think that just as he's showing a lot of promise as a wide receiver, also as a returner on special teams, I think that we can realistically expect big things from Ayuk in that area as well. In terms of other players that might uh, figure into the return game, uh, Ryan Newsom is somebody who spent some time both as punt and kick returner over the last few years. Running back uh, Paul Lucas, running back Isaiah Floyd, uh, rank uh, second and third respectively in, in, in total kick returns. So you can expect to see them in the mix. Cornerback uh, Chase Lucas and uh, redshirt wide receiver Jordan Porter are also uh, players we could see at this role. Both of them took reps over there in the spring al- along with Ayuk. And... As an outside-outside chance, we might see one or both Markham Twins maybe get a chance and take a stab at being, if not a starting returner, maybe maybe figuring the depth, the depth chart over here. I know the returning game is uh, an area that Sean Slocum does want to improve on, and Ayuk being a year older, not only improving as a wide receiver because of that year of experience I would just built, but also as a returner, I think could uh, just fulfill uh, Sean Slocum's wish and make sure that this is an area that can be a legitimate strength for the Sun Devils in 2019. And that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of the Devils Junkies podcast. I usually do end uh, these podcasts with fielding uh, your questions on any and all matters regarding Sun Devil Sports. Uh, Logistic reasons, unfortunately, prevented me from doing so in this podcast episode. I do promise to return with that segment in the future. At the end of the day, I've talked for just over two hours, giving you a detailed preview of Arizona State's fall camp, so I definitely gave you a lot to chew on in this podcast. If you do still um, want to ask me any questions about ASU football, I'm more than happy to uh, feel those offline from the podcast, so to speak. Uh, I would obviously encourage all of you that have not signed up yet for a pre-membership at Devil's Digest uh, to do so. Join us at the Devil's Huddle, where... In our, in our premium message board, we talk all topics regarding Arizona State football. A lot of these topics and tidbits are reserved for the huddle members, for the folks who support uh, Devil's Digest. So if you're not signed up already, full camp is here. Regular season game is just about a month away. You don't want to be on the sidelines. Come and join us in the huddle at devilsdigest.com. So if you have any questions and you can post them uh, in the huddle or just find me on Twitter at Devil's Digest and pose your question over there. Needless to say that uh, we're going to have wall-to-wall coverage concerning Arizona State's fall camp, both on the sessions in Tempe and the sessions in Camp Tonazona 
in the in the second week of August. So make sure that uh, you follow us for all the latest on Sun Devil football. We're going to have a podcast probably midway through fall camp, maybe right after Camp Tanazona, just recapping the progress of the team as a whole, of specific player and player positions up until that point. Until then, thank you so much for tuning in to the Devil's Junkies podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself Devil Town Yeah.